If I've not met you, my name's Tom. I'm married to Jessica, and we've got four kids. Half of them are in here this morning. Hey, Theo. <laughs> Theo and Lily are here. Um, and I have the privilege of being the, the leader of our eldership team. Um, we've got a few elders, and we're looking to add to that team. And it's, a, it's an interesting position and thing to do, but it's a great privilege. It's full of all kinds of stuff. And one of the things that we are really taking seriously this year is our whole the, the challenge and the, the responsibility we have as an eldership team to guard and govern and guide you guys as a community. And so we, we want to do a really good job of shaping and protecting the vision we see laid out for us as followers of Jesus in the Bible and what that looks like for us here today in Alliston in 2020. And we're, we're doing our, our best this year to kind of bring clarity to what that looks like. And so I have, a, again, the privilege to be on that team with Kevin Josh and Timothy, and we're looking to add to that team this year as well. So keep praying for us. Keep us in your prayers. And um, I want to say a special hey to any visitors that we have here this morning. We're super happy that you're here with us. And we're in the middle of a series that hopefully will be helpful for you as you're kind of looking in and wondering, okay, what are these guys about? That's actually what we're talking about. We're just talking about what we're about, what we value, what we're going to give ourselves to as a community. So welcome. We hope you feel welcomed and the children didn't scare you off. So that's good. Um, hopefully you've gotten some coffee and you're settling on in. But our vision this year, our, for our pastoral vision, is to bring clarity. Um, and that's what we're going after, is just defining things and redefining things, because things have gotten blurry, to be honest. You know, our church has grown, our church has gone through all kinds of changes, and, and we're wanting to, to make things really plain and simple and graspable so that we can move forward together. And we've spent the last four weeks kind of unpacking this graphic that we have used to kind of explain our vision. So if you haven't already heard these, they're on the website, they're on our podcast, they're on our APP, um, the podcast APP, and uh, you can download that on the APP store. Um, But um, does anyone remember the mission? Okay, I remember it. Um, It's in Allison as it is in heaven. And how we do that is we follow the way of Jesus for the renewal of our town. So that's, that's kind of our summary of the, the biblical mandate we've been given as followers of Jesus right here, right now, is we want Allison to, to look like heaven, meaning we want God's rule and reign to take up residence in Allison, to be realized and manifest in everything that we're doing. And the two stories that we combined are the story of Scripture, or God's rule coming to God's place, or God's kingdom come. We see that in the story of Scripture, that Heaven was on earth, but heaven was ripped into heaven and earth, and it's been God's glorious mission to reunite these two realms once again. That's what we're joining in with as followers of Jesus, and that that requires us to be transformed and changed and to give ourselves to being apprentices to Jesus, or we're taking up his way. And all of these things are coming together in this beautiful union. That's God's heart, design, and purpose for us as people. And so that's what we're wanting to do. And within this whole conversation, there's one scripture that's kind of been ringing true through the whole thing, and it's write the vision, make it plain, so that he who reads it may run with it. And that's what we want for you guys, to make it really plain and simple so that every one of us, from the oldest to the youngest, can grasp this, can grab a hold of it, and so that we can partner with God and become better apprentices and disciples to Jesus. That's what we're about. And so we're going to transition from talking about the mission and the vision into our values. And what that looks like for us. What do we value as a community? What, what's different from the church down the street that we would value that maybe they wouldn't? And all of these things, guys, I want to I make it clear. They're, 
They're within the context of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. So if I'm not saying certain words or you feel like I'm missing certain things, maybe go back and listen to the other two weeks because that's kind of the basis and the foundation for what we're talking about today. You know what I mean? So, so we're, we're, the reality and the realm we're talking about is we're talking about the kingdom of God and what it looks like to live within that kingdom right here and right now. So without further ado, we're going to go through our values. So what, first of all, what is a value? So this is the definition we came up with for value. That's it? No, here we go. Okay. Uh, a value is an essential core belief and biblical conviction about what is good, desirable, and worthwhile motivating meaningful and purposeful action. I'm going to read that one more time. Values. Oh, essential core beliefs and biblical convictions about what is good, desirable, and worthwhile, motivating meaningful and purposeful action. So we think about this in our own lives, the things that we value. I think about my in-laws, for example. They value relationship. They value hospitality. They value having people in their lives. And so it's, it's not enough to have that as a value in their mind there's actually an action attached to that. So what that looks like is they would potentially buy extra food at the grocery store. They would invite you in when you came to the door. They would make sure you had coffee, that you were fed, that you were looked in the eye. And this is because they value relationship. They value hospitality. So there was an, there's an action attached to values. Does that make sense? It's not enough to just say, oh yeah, that's important. We actually need to put our money where our mouth is or, or like the belief should influence our actions. And we see this in our own lives where maybe we value things that we wish that we didn't. And so we can also attach and see what we value by what, what, what causes inactivity or what we avoid. You know, Sometimes it's easier to, to identify those things that way. So there's always an action attached to what we value. And sometimes this is good and sometimes this is bad. But what we're going to talk about and what we're going to think through over the next month as we unpack our values is how these things that we're saying that are really important. They help us define their core convictions and core beliefs about what we think about is true in the Bible and what God has kind of unfolded in his kingdom. What does it look like to, to, to see those things as good and valuable and worthwhile? And how do these things spring us into action? We're going to think through, okay, what, what does it look like to get these things into our bones, into our DNA? So it starts with just simply valuing something. Can we go to the next slide? It starts with valuing something. And so if we value what we're going to talk about today, it's going to get into our DNA. And then from there, as a people, as a body of believers, as a community, it's going to shape the culture of Anchor Point. And that culture that is established by a bunch of people expressing and acting out the values that they have, it's going to build a culture, and that culture should line up with the vision that we've laid out before, which is in Allison as it is in heaven, God's kingdom coming here and now. So that is kind of the the mode and method that we're going to be thinking through as we unpack our values. Our lived out values become our DNA, which forms a culture that should perpetually pull us towards the vision that we have. That should be what's, what's happening and what we're doing. So using our graphic that we came up with of the four circles at each intersection of, of either whatever it's God's, God's rule expressed by God's people and God's place by God's way. At the intersection of all of those circles, we find our values. So the first two that we're going to look at is God's rules expressed in God's way. So this is our first value that we're going to be unpacking, and that is the value of the gospel. The gospel. So at the intersection of God's rule in God's way, we see the gospel. And I want to be just heads up again. This is not a typical preach, guys. I'm gonna, this is going to be kind of systematically just working through 
something, so just bear with me as I'm doing that. So, but anyways, the first value, we're going we're gonna to treasure this. We're going to see it as good and worthwhile. And it's going to help shape what we do in our lives, our actions and our beliefs is the gospel. Um, gospel is not just a genre of music. That'd be a great value. We value gospel music. Um, uh, but gospel is one of, of, of the many words within Christianity or Christendom that we can kind of get lost in the, in the mix. Like, what do you mean by gospel? I thought it was this. No, what did you mean by gospel? And if you were, we were to ask, you know, probably each of us in this room what the gospel was, we'd get a whole variance of answers. And moreover, all the different churches in town, we'd all be giving different answers to what the gospel is. And one of the things that we are contending for in our pastoral vision, and as I was saying as elders, is we're contending for clarity, right? We're, continue, we're contending for unity in that clarity. And this is, this is aided by developing a shared language. So a shared language with, with the same meaning. Okay, so it's not enough to just say we value the gospel. Okay, we value the gospel and the gospel is this. We need to, we need to agree and have the same conviction and belief about what the gospel actually is. It would be similar if, if I went to, to Simon Powling and said, hey, Simon, do you want to play football? And I would show up with a brown oblong shaped thing and he would show up with a round ball. We're saying the same word and we're having two different meanings, correct? Right. Mine is right, his is wrong. But um, So over the history of the church, this has been a, an issue, but it's been a problem. And throughout church history, especially before the invention of the printing press and the Bible was readily available to all of us or as an app on our phones or whatever, APP on our phones, then, um, then they developed these things that were condensing the story of the gospel into, into things that were called creeds. So these are, these are the, the core tenets of our faith that, that are laid out in the gospel. And the, the two most famous creeds would have been the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. And these were just a condensing of the message of the gospel for the purpose of unity, for the purpose of of the church being on the same page about what the gospel actually is. And so what we've come up with is is this this phrase that we're going to be using as our definition to hopefully articulate the heart of God, which is the gospel message. So we want to value the gospel, but we want to mean the same thing when we're talking about the word gospel. So this is the definition that we're going to unpack for the rest of our time. The gospel is the good news that God, our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, and death, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish His kingdom through His people in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's good news. Let me read that one more time. The gospel is the good news that God, our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, and death, and to renew all things, in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish His kingdom through His people in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to walk through what this means for us, okay? Father, we're grateful that we get to talk about the good news of the gospel this morning. I ask for you to just help me clearly communicate your heart, Lord. I pray that we would leave here united. Um, We'd leave here transformed. We'd leave here full of joy that this is actually good news, Lord. Um, Holy Spirit, come reveal to us the truth of what Jesus has done and who he really is. And may we we just keep following after you. We want to depend on you this morning, Holy Spirit, to come 
and move and lead and guide our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Does anyone know the Greek word for gospel? <laughs> Josh knows one Greek word every time. What's that baby's name? Koinonia. Probably Koinonia. Um, Tina, did you say it? Euangelion. Euangelion. So this, this translation of, of, the go- of the Greek word of euangelion is simply good news. So it's good news. Who likes good news? Everyone likes good news. The gospel is actually good news. The verb form, euangelizo, I'm probably butchering that, Tina, I'm sorry, is to bring or announce good news. To announce good news. In our house, we have four kids, like I said. Our youngest daughter, Jubilee, is two, and she still uses a soother to go to bed. And there's various times throughout the day where all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's time for nap, and we cannot find the soother. And it's chaos. We're all, we're ripping apart couches. We're, we're pulling things out. We're yelling through the house. And the unfortunate thing, the ironic thing, is we always buy clear soothers. <laughs> so we keep doing it, expecting different results. So anyways, we're all, we're yelling, Who's, who had it last? And, you know, all this stuff's going on. And the, the greatest thing is to be able to say, I found it. I found it. And then that news spreads throughout the house, right? There's the gospel of finding the soother is spreading throughout the house where, where, where we're not having to kind of continue to pull up bed cushions or whatever that looks like. We're not in the car looking for the soother. But there's something that's transpired that affects our whole entire family. There was a problem that has been solved and it, it, it affects every single person in our family. And this is what the gospel is. I mean, that's a, that's a it's so much better than that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Please, I want to be clear about that. But, but there's something about the gospel that affects every person. It requires some type of response from every person who hears it and who is a part of the story. And that, that the story of the gospel affects all of humanity and all of creation. So the good news of the kingdom, the good news that the kingdom has come near, like Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, is that it affects everyone. It affects every person. And it affects everyone in the same way that finding the soother affects our entire family. This is what the, the angels say when they, they approach the shepherds. They say, this is the good news of great joy for all people. Or this is what Jesus came and proclaimed and lived out. He came and proclaimed and lived out this good news. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. To gospel. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came to announce and live out good news. What he did on this earth, when he, when he exemplified and embodied the kingdom, it was good news for all who were around him. So the first thing we need to grab, our, our, grab a hold of and realize is that the gospel is actually good news. The second thing we see is that the gospel is God's good news. And what I mean by this is that each person of the Trinity is involved in the good news of the gospel. You see that in, in the, the phrase that we used here, that the Father is the one who initiates the plan of salvation. He initiates this plan of salvation for us because he is fueled by his undying love for humanity. 
his deep, real, tangible love for each and every one of us. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is important for us to wrap our heads around because we've talked about this over the last few years, that sometimes our perspective on God is wrong. And that the enemy has kind of skewed our picture of who God the Father actually is. He's this angry, distant God that wants nothing to do with us, but Jesus somehow convinces him to forgive us and he'll go die on our behalf. But we need to know about the gospel that all of them, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, were in on this from the beginning. This is a unified rescue mission that they were all involved in. So this is God's good news, meaning the Father is involved, also the Son is involved. Jesus Christ is involved. He is the promised Savior come to fulfill Israel's story and humanity's story. And he fulfills it on our behalf and does so perfectly. Every, every way in which Israel failed, Jesus performed perfectly. Every way that we fail, Jesus came and performed perfectly for us. He died in our place. Only to rise again three days later, later giving us eternal life and, and to inaugurate his kingdom coming on earth. Simply put, Jesus shares his life with us. So the Father's involved the Son is involved, and the Holy Spirit is involved. The Holy Spirit empowers us, guides us, works in us, showing us Jesus all the way through. He produces the fruit of the Spirit, which enables us to partner with God in the renewal of all things. So the gospel is good news, the gospel is God's good news, and the gospel is Trinitarian. Okay? It's not just about Jesus, it's about the whole Trinity working together. Good. Moving on, this is about, the gospel is about God's rescue plan. And this is, this is a, the part in the story that sometimes we want to skip over or, or miss. And we talk through the whole biblical narrative. And this, is, this is affects you know, the, the story of Israel, but it also affects every single person in this room. We were created for a purpose, but somehow along the way, we chose to rebel against God and his kingdom. We said, you know what, God, I know better than you. I'm going to define what's good and evil. I'm going to go out on my own and find life. And that never really works out, right? And the, the, the process of that, or how that happened, is the, the entrance of sin into our world, or this whole idea that we can live life apart from God. We'd be better off without Him. And that, that intrinsic to it, built into that whole mindset and those actions that follow, are all kinds of things. There's a penalty, there's a power, and there's a presence of sin. But what we see in the gospel is that Jesus rescued us from sin and all of its delusions and confusions. Yes. Amen. So first of all, he rescues us from the penalty of sin. Two scriptures here, 2 Corinthians 5.19 and Romans 6.23. God was So on the cross, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So on the cross, Jesus' sacrificial death for us, he reconnected us to the Father, not counting our sins against us, forgiving us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus and his sacrificial death saves us from the penalty of sin. Moreover, it saves us from the power of sin. And this is, this is how, you know, through Jesus' actions and through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we get to know and love God now. He comes and reveals to us what God is actually like. And so on that sacrificial, in that sacrificial death, in that, in that atoning sacrifice that he, he laid out, we get to see that love expressed. And in that process, he overcomes the power of sin. Let's read this scripture together. 
So if, if we're in Christ, if we're included in him, all that kind of stuff, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the good news. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but now we're under grace, which is what we were singing about this morning so beautifully. Having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. So the gospel deals with the penalty of sin and Jesus taking into himself our death, the power of sin, welcoming us into his reality of the kingdom. And finally, where we're heading eventually is the power of sin. And that's in the new heaven and the new earth that's laid out in Revelation 21. But here's the thing. Here's the kicker. We live in between. Okay? So we live in the already and not yet of this being fully realized. And in the acts of the, in, in how we laid out the biblical narrative, we are, we've been redeemed. We're entering into this whole stage of renewal. We're partnering with God in that. But we're not yet in the new creation where this whole story is headed. So we're in between those two things of renewal and the new creation where we see pockets of new creation realities coming into our world here right now, but it's not all the time completely fully. And that's the tension in which we live. So Jesus rescued us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. Next, he rescues us from Satan. Who wants to talk about Satan? <laughs> I, I can't remember the last time I've talked about Satan, but he's not the red horn guy played by Will Ferrell on SNL, you know, like singing country songs or whatever. He is not that person. But Jesus, however, does talk about Satan. So we need to be aware of Satan. We need to, to, to realize that he is a real intangible presence in the world. Jesus called him the enemy in Matthew 13, 39, the evil one, Matthew 13, 38, the prince of this world, John 12, 31 and 14, 30, a liar, the father of lies and a murderer, John 8, 44. Not a great presence. Um, so Jesus rescues us from Satan and his grips being in us all the time, him running our lives. Colossians 2.15, one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's about Jesus on the cross. That's what he did there. So we do not have to fear Satan any longer because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He says this in Matthew 28. And so if we think about heaven and earth, that whole story, God's realm, Jesus has all authority. The Father has given that to him. But also he came in through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he took back all authority on earth. Hey? So there's no place we can go where Jesus doesn't have full and complete authority. That is good news. So in heavenly realms and on earth, Jesus has all authority. Jesus rescues us from Satan. And finally, Jesus rescues us from death. He reconciles us to the Father and invites us to eternal life starting right here, right now. That is also good news. He dealt death its final blow. And I want us to think, think this through. There's more life in Jesus than there is death in death itself. He is so much greater than death. So in the gospel, the point I want us to take from this whole idea of God's rescue plan is that the gospel gives us union with Christ. The gospel gives us union with Christ. Where we're seen as he's seen. What's true of him is not true of us. This is good news. So the gospel is good news. The gospel is God's good news. And the gospel is union. So this doesn't stop here. We keep going on. There's this whole idea of re the renewal of all things. Um, the first thing God renews is he renews in individuals. So the people that are in this room with you. At some way, in some way, we're probably, if we've, we've started to follow Jesus, we have been renewed, we're being renewed. And there's this invitation for those of us who aren't yet following him to be renewed. Because the reality is that every single one of us before meeting Jesus was spiritually dead. We're actually dead. 
but we have become alive in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's read this together from Ephesians chapter 2. You guys doing okay? I know this is a lot of info. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Remember, this is what we were just talking about. Jesus has saved us from all of those things. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the minds, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's where it gets good. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God." Not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Amen. The gospel renews people. The gospel renews individuals. Those who are spiritually dead have been made alive in Christ. And that work continues to deepen in us, in us all the time. There's an ever-deepening renewal that takes place as we partner with God. But it doesn't stop there. It goes to, to God's desire to, to have a family, to have a family of renewed individuals, a family of redeemed people. And what, what we see here is God's desire for unity. God wants us to be together in this. As we experience and know the forgiveness and grace and the whole beauty of the gospel message, it should unite us, not divide us. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this about this whole idea. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. That's our story. Those of us here are following Jesus. That is our story. We're brought into his family. So there's renewal of individuals. There's also a renewal of uh, groups of people. And this leads us into the, the whole other bit about God's kingdom being established on earth as it is in heaven. We're, we've talked about this all kinds of ways, guys, over the last little bit. But what does that actually look like? Let's read from Isaiah chapter 65. This is in the Old Testament about what God's kingdom being established looks like in the earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young men shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. 
For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So what I read in this, and what I think it's important for us to grab a hold of, is that the gospel is holistic. It's not just about, you know, you will have incredibly good, quiet times on your own for the rest of your life. Try not to sin and make it to the end. It's this whole idea of God's kingdom coming and tra- transforming all of creation. Like at the end, it talks about the, the, the wolf and, and the, the ox and all that kind of stuff. There's this, this where there's animosity and brokenness and, and hurt and, and competition, all those things are laid bare in the gospel. That where we're heading as God's kingdom is established, that, that's not how things work there anymore. The brokenness caused by sin is undone and healed as the kingdom comes. So the gospel is holistic. It's not just about you and me and salvation alone. That's part of it, but it's a much bigger story than I think sometimes we've settled for. So the gospel is holistic. The gospel is union. The gospel is Trinitarian and the gospel is good news. And finally, the gospel is empowered. The gospel is is expressed, the kingdom is, is established through God's Holy Spirit-empowered people partnering with him. Okay, we need the Holy Spirit for any of this to work. I want to be really clear about that. That, that for all the things we're talking about, the, the, you know, they could be great ideas, but if we don't have God's presence filling us and empowering us and leading us, it is all for nothing. It is a waste of time. At, at our best, it would be you know, our, our religious zeal or legalism or workspace righteousness that we're going for to try to get God's attention or something like that. That's not what we're about. And at, at the other end of the spectrum, we could become so, there, there is this whole idea that we want to partner with God and do what he's doing. We need to be engaged with the people around us and not just off in our prayer closet, never actually coming down to talk to any human being because we're just so, you know, in the spirit realm or something like that. Dualism is, is that, that way of thinking. We need the Holy Spirit for any and all of this to have any chance of working. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, right, what's true of Jesus is not true of us. Jesus is the anointed one. He's anointed in the Holy Spirit, meaning he's drenched in the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so as we are brought into union with Christ, he's inviting us to share that same empowerment that he, that he found in the Holy Spirit. The gospel is empowered. We need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for any of this to work. Cool? Cool. So the gospel is empowered. The gospel is holistic. The gospel is union. The gospel is Trinitarian. And the gospel is really, really good news. So what do we do with that? How do we value this? How, do we, how does this begin to shape our actions and our beliefs and not just stay in our head? Hey, guys. I always get so distracted, sorry. Um, The first thing we do is we receive this story, and in doing so, we reject all other stories to make sense of reality. Okay? So let me unpack what I mean by that. We receive the story of the gospel that we just laid out right here, and we reject all other stories. What are some other stories that we need to reject? This is from a book by Steve Wilkins and Mark Sanford, just kind of really briefly explaining some other stories. So we would reject the story of individualism, the story that I am the center of the universe. We would reject the story of consumerism, that 
the story that I am what I own. We would reject the story of moral relativism, that the story that we can't know what is universally good. We would reject scientific naturalism, the story that all that matters is matter. We would reject uh, the New Age story, that the story that we are all gods. We would reject postmodern tribalism, the story that all that matters is what my small group thinks, not community group, your small group. <laughs> uh, we reject salvation by therapy, that the story that I can come to my full human potential through inner exploration. So in valuing the gospel, we receive this story as reality, and we reject all of these other stories. And this is, this is where we need to be honest with ourselves, where there's probably bits and pieces of all of those stories that we have, I love Josh's phrase a couple of weeks ago, that we've smuggled into our story. We bring individualism in, we bring consumerism in, we, we could bring, you know, it, whatever into, secularism into our story, but we need to receive this story over and over. We need to be storied people that are informed and entrenched in the gospel, in the story of scripture. The story of God. We need to get super familiar with that story. So that's how we value it. We, we receive it as reality and we begin to reject and realize the other stories in which we're living. The second thing we do is we relinquish our personal throne to King Jesus. We relinquish our personal throne to King Jesus. Jesus is the rightful king in all of our lives. And remember, we got into this whole mess as we began to rebel against God and his ways. That we think, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, God, I'm going to tell you how the world actually works. And that never really goes well. In that process of relinquishing our personal throne to King Jesus, this is a holistic thing. This could be in all kinds of ways. It's how you think about sex, how you think about money, how you think about your neighbors, and on the list could go. But as we do that, there's this invitation always to repent, to rethink, to turn around and think, okay, I'm, I'm going this way, God. I think it's good as this thing and bad as this thing, but what do you say? I need to step off my throne and let you sit down as king. You show me which way it is. So we repent, we turn from our ways, and we believe that God actually is good. That he actually is for us, that he actually knows what's up. So we relinquish our personal throne to King Jesus as we receive this story and reject all others. And in that process, what happens is that we rejoin God in our original design and purpose to partner with him in the renewal of all things. Okay? There's a purpose to it. It's not just, I repented, I feel better. It's, it's to get back to it, man. Let's get on it. You got, your, your, faith shall be, your, your faith and works are attached here. And so this process is only possible by our deep, deepening and ongoing reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And as we rest in the finished work of God and know that, okay, we're partnering with him. He's bringing his kingdom. I'm just here to help him do it. It's not up to me to save the world around me. So we value this by receiving it as true and rejecting all other stories that would say otherwise. We get super familiar with the story of God. We are reading it daily. We are talking about it with our friends. We, in that process, begin to relinquish our personal throne to King Jesus by repenting and believing in the good news. And we rejoin God in the renewal of all things as we continually rely on the Holy Spirit. So, Here's the thing that is exciting to me as we kind of think through, okay, we want this to become a value that will get into our DNA, that will shape a culture, that will help us keep on vision, and then the process will just keep continuing. You know, new belief, if someone comes into knowing Jesus, we get to talk this through with them all over again. Okay, this is what the gospel is. This is what it looks like. This is how we live it out. But not only that, it should shape and form all the things that we're doing. 
how we're doing community groups, how we're engaging with our neighbors, how we're picking songs for Sunday morning, how we're doing our taxes at the end of the year. All that stuff should be shaped by the story of the gospel. Every single thing. But these are just a few markers, I think, that are, that are cool to think about as we, as we dream and look forward. Gospel people or good news people are people who are full of joy. They're not afraid to laugh. They're not afraid to have a good time. They're not afraid to think through what's coming into the future and have hope as they look towards it. Good news people or gospel people are centered on God. They know it's about God. They know it's about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That that relationship actually is the center of gravity for all of creation. Good news and gospel people are experiencing daily freedom in their union with Christ. That they're living into and out of that reality in all that they do. They're joyfully repenting and believing that, okay, Jesus, you are king and I'm not. And that is good news. So much pressure sometimes to be God. And then we continue on that good news people are people who are joined in the renewal of all things. They're seeing fruit in the things that they're doing. You know, we talked about that in that scripture in Ephesians that God has prepared good works beforehand for us to walk in. And finally, gospel people remain empowered by the Holy Spirit all the way through. Those are hopeful and encouraging things. And what I'm going to do in, in closing, guys, if, you, if that's you this morning, that you're like, okay, I, I, want, I want to be a gospel person. I don't value this. I'm living in a different story or wherever you might be in that journey. I just want us to all to stand up. But if that's you this morning, I want you just to put your hands up and we're just going to pray together. I'm going to pray that we would become a gospel people, empowered by the Spirit, able to kind of look ahead with joy and all the things that we were talking about. So if you guys all want to stand, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And there's no pressure. You don't have to put your hands up. But sometimes it's just like an act of faith saying, okay, Jesus, I'm in. I want more of this. I'm here. You're doing something in me and I want to respond to it. So if you feel stirred this morning that at some, some level you want to receive this story as reality in a greater way and that there are stories that you want to reject that, that you've been living into, I, just, I want you to ask, ask you just to raise your hand this morning. If you're here this morning and you're, you're seeing and realizing, okay, Jesus, I am on the throne and you need to be on the throne. I need to relinquish control to you. If that's you this morning, if you need to repent and believe in the good news this morning, just put your hand up. And finally, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're, you're feeling kind of untethered and you don't really know your purpose, what do I do with my time and energy? And you want to rejoin God in the renewal of all things, just put your hand up. If you want to learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit, in a greater measure. So we're just going to pray and trust that God sees us and knows us, that through the mysterious goodness of the gospel, you know, he is right here, right, right, right now with us. And so bow your heads and let's just pray together. Father, we come to you this morning stirred, by the good news of the gospel. We, we receive it as true by faith this morning. And for those of us Lord, who have been living under a different story in a different reality, and for those of us who, who are stuck there, God, we just pray for freedom right now in Jesus' name. We pray that this story of the gospel would all of a sudden make sense of reality to us once and for all. Where, where it's about self-sacrificial love and not just about getting what I want or whatever that might look like. You know our hearts, God. Lord, for those of us in the room who are needing to relinquish our throne to you this morning, 
the throne of our lives, our hearts. We pray just for grace to be able to do that, for, for strength to be able to say, Jesus, you're king. Okay, your definition of good and evil is what I'm going to live by now. Your way and not my way. May we quickly repent, God, and, and re- believe the good news that you are for us, that you have a plan for us, God, that you have destroyed the works of the enemy and you are coming back again one day. And Lord, for those of us who feel kind of untethered and, and unsure of what, what life looks like in your kingdom, God, I pray that you would rejoin them into your purpose to renew all things this morning. And that requires, Lord, us being dependent on your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come right now, fill us up, fill us up afresh, lead us, guide us, Lord, shape us into gospel people, people of the good news. And we can only do this, Lord, in in depending on you and partnering with you. And so we want to do that in a greater measure. We love you, God. We're grateful for all that you're doing in and through us. And we pray just for more, God. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in Alliston as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.